Hello and welcome to Tailoring It podcast number six. Tick, 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 tick in the box. It's probably how a lot of people think about compliance training being something that they have to do just to get a tick in the box so that they can be left alone for another 12 months, two years, three years, so that they can get their line manager off the back and so that the company, the organisation, the institute, the establishment can turn around should anything go wrong and say that person has received some training. Whether they've learned anything or not, well, that's another question, but we've got a tick in the box, so we've uh, we've got our backsides covered, the umbrella is up. Last October, November time, I went to an e-learning network event down in London called Innovation in Compliance Training and listened to quite a few speakers during that day talk about how they'd approach compliance training, what they'd done differently, the success they'd had by doing it differently, whether or not compliance training actually needed to be delivered and whether calling it compliance training itself was a massive turn off and led to some of the negative um, perspectives and negative perceptions that people have got about compliance training. And I went away with, with quite a quite a, a well-rounded action plan to try and introduce back into my organisation. But as always, I do like to follow up on these things and sort of get an idea about what people have taken away from it. I certainly know that you were there, Sam. Colin, I know that you weren't, um, so I really wanted to sort of get us together and, and sort of talk about what our perspectives are on compliance training. I've just briefly mentioned you there, but if uh, yeah. if I could come over to you, Colin, if you just give us a brief introduction, sort of, you know, let us know who you are and what you're doing. Okay, I'm Colin Hawksworth, and I've worked in educational technology for over 20 years. Um, I worked in school and I've worked in a college. Um, I've managed IT departments um, and I've got some grasp on the IT laws, regulations, of course, I've had to deal with data protection, freedom of information. I've not been in the same sort of level uh, within the department of like training and compliance as I suppose you guys are, but obviously I've got a grasp on it and I've got experience of you know, people who all right, thank you. I was just starting to fade out there, Colin. I hope that's not a symptom of something that's, that's going to take up the rest of the podcast. Um, over to yourself, Sam. Yeah, hi there. Um, I'm Sam Burrow, and I work for a financial services company down in Bristol. Um, I've been, I guess, heading up the online learning side of things for our company for the last two or three years. Um, and most of our experience with online training or basically e-learning was limited to compliance training uh, until quite recently and it was probably the worst kind of compliance training that you can imagine it was just powerpoint screens followed by multiple choice uh, quizzes which had little bearing uh, little kind of resemblance to what actually happened in people's day jobs so the kind of challenge for us at the moment is moving people away from that expectation uh, onto something a bit more modern and effective hopefully. Okay, thank you very much Sam, cheers Cole. Um, anybody who's listening to this has probably stumbled across it on my blog itself so you might already have an understanding um, about the area in the industry that I work in but I work within the nuclear industry um, as you probably might imagine due to the nature of what it is that we do there's a lot of training to be delivered and an incredible amount of that training you know 99% I'm going to pluck a figure out the air at 
is compliance driven, is statutory training driven. So not only do we deliver a lot, but um, you know, people have got a lot to receive as well. So it's always worth thinking about you know, the, the poor learner at the other end. If we're delivering it, they're unfortunately having to receive it as well, or maybe not unfortunately having to receive it if we can, if we can do something quite innovative and quite different. I'm just interested in, in what people's understanding of between compliance training and statutory training and whether or not you think there's a difference and if there is what it is now I must admit I've done a bit of research into this by speaking to our head our compliance manager yesterday but I'm just interested to see what, what your thoughts are on the difference between compliance training and statutory training over to you first Sam yeah sure well, I guess I mean I would assume that the difference is statutory training is mandatory by law and compliance training is mandatory by your compliance department. <laughs> um, that's pretty much how it is where we work. Um, having had lots of conversations with our compliance department, I know that a lot of our compliance related training is not uh, statutory. It's the, the FSA, which is our regulatory um, uh, body. They don't say you must have training on this, on X, Y, Z. You, everyone must do risk management training. Everyone must do treating customers fairly training. It's it's looser than that. There's a training and competence scheme, which is up to the companies to define what goes into that, uh, and they will assess your training and competence scheme, but they don't tell you what has to go in it. So uh, for me, that's the difference. What about from yourself, Colin? From your perspective of data protection and IT policies and etc. Well, I've got a similar thing. I made a few notes before we came on. Uh, um, I've, I've got things like what's you know the differences between policies, regulations, and laws. I mean, we've got things that would be set in your own departments uh, within your own organization and then things that apply like UK laws, EU laws, international, you know, data protection, freedom of information, yeah. business laws. Um, you know, the, I think this is the thing we've got to distinguish between first, what is policy at your company level and what is actual law and why you need to comply with one or the other or both. Yes, yeah. The, the conversation that I had very briefly, and it sounds like both of you have done more research into it than I have, to be honest, so a bit, a bit of egg on my face there, but the conversation that I had yesterday was, as, as you both said, statutory training is, you really haven't got a choice about this, you can choose not to do it, but um, you know there's a potential for you to be closed down like that, it's a legal requirement, so fire safety training is a statutory requirement, manual handling is a statutory requirement, unless as an employer, you can reduce manual handling within your organization to zero. And when you think that manual handling isn't just about lifting heavy boxes and rolls of carpet, it's about moving a chair or a table or a box of files. So, you know, most companies can't reduce their manual handling to zero. So they should be doing that. DSE awareness, anybody that sits at a monitor, anybody that interacts with a visual display unit, whether it's sitting or standing or mobile, that company should be then delivering display screen equipment awareness training. You're absolutely right. There's a there's a legal statutory requirement to do it. The flip side of the coin is, depending upon your industry and your regulators, you would be foolish not to follow their compliance guidance. I mean, the health and safety executive stops short in the vast majority of cases of saying you must do this. You have to do this. They offer guidance. And the, 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 the advice I was given by my compliance manager yesterday was that guidance, should you ever end up in a court of law or anything such as that, if you haven't followed that guidance, 
then you're pretty much nailed to the wall with it really so um he said there's a very 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 fine line between the two and it's a distinct line but it's an extremely fine distinct line and i think between the three of us there and um, we kind of summed up what those differences are between statutory and compliance and i actually think that when we talk about compliance training be it face-to-face -face or e-learning we're actually talking about both would you agree or, or do you think that actually companies do quite quite um, overtly distinguish between the two? Um, I think you're probably right, there's a distinguish, so, well, you know, I think companies will adhere to what policies they think they need to adhere to and what laws they think they need to follow. I guess in your industry it's totally different because, you know, there's so much safety involved and in, in education it's, it's a different thing. I think my experience is that some educational establishments actually think that some laws are not so sort of important to them, you know, like data protection and freedom of information, where they'll follow education policies and guidelines. They're not actually a law or a relation. Okay, okay. About yourself, Sam, from your from the financial perspective. Um, yeah, to be honest, from as a sort of office-based business it's obviously totally different to what you're used to and the mandatory stuff is just you know the basic law stuff like you said like data protection uh basic health and safety stuff and it all gets lumped in together uh between it it's just all packaged in the same ugly compliance container <laughs> well to be honest i mean we, we we still package it together we call everything compliance uh, statutory training um, whether or not it's fire safety training or something that's very specific to working at height or working in a confined space. So we don't actually, so that from, from a learner's perspective and from learning and development's perspective, there isn't really a distinguishment between compliance and statutory. It, it is all lumped up into the same thing. Uh, it brings me on to, what's your worst experience of compliance training? <laughs> worst experience um it doesn't happen that's my worst experience it just does not take place now that's interesting you say that colin because i've not considered that and i hadn't considered that because probably because of the industry that i'm in but i think it's i think it's a, a worthwhile thing to consider is the delivery of bad define bad however you want is the delivery of bad compliance training actually better or worse than just not delivering anything at all through any medium my gut feeling is something's better than nothing and um, that's a good point that Colin yeah the, the worst experience might be it's actually not delivered at all what about it from a financial perspective Sam um, yeah I mean I guess when you're thinking tick in the box uh, if you think you're the end result of needing that tick in the box is maybe having to stand up in court one day to say uh, yeah, well, we made them do this. How how likely do you think it is that the judge or anyone is going to review the quality of what they actually did? Yes, yeah. I mean, there's a potential for that, and I, and I think that uh, you know, if if somebody was extremely savvy that was stood up there, might really look into the quality and and of what was delivered. But I think the first part of call is is there a signature on a piece of paper? Is somebody's name on a computer printout? They might just stop at that point, you know, and then say, well, you've yeah. met your you've met your obligations. My personal worst experience of compliance training was within an organization that shall obviously remain completely nameless, 
And within my induction period, I had to undertake manual handling training. It was two or three hours long, a little bit of theory, then backed up by some practical. And it was the practical that was that was disappointing. Essentially, we had a number of boxes around the training room, empty boxes, plain brown boxes like you'd get from a moving organisation, you know, Pickford's or something, with 10 kilograms, 5 kilograms, 25 kilograms written on all six sides of these boxes, then just left around the room, completely and utterly empty boxes. <laughs> um, and we were then meant to lift them as if they were 5 kilograms or 5 kilograms. <laughs> And for me, it just smacked of bone idleness on the part of the person that was facilitating it. So uh, there's my worst experience of it. The, the intent was there, you know, the, the good intent to deliver something practical and theory based. But um, it kind of just fell a little bit short from the practical aspects. Does that count as virtual training? Because you have to imagine <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, there might be some sort of augmented reality that could actually yeah. superimpose a feeling of stress <laughs> on your muscles or something. But yeah. that certainly wasn't the case two years, two or three years ago. Like yourself, Sam? Um, yeah, I I can't think of too many examples of, of having to actually go through compliance training, apart from where I currently work. And and the worst one was the first time I had to do uh, our compulsory annual training, as it was uh, called back then. And it, it was just the most, it was written by the SMEs. No one had tried any, put any effort into the presentation of it or, um, uh, or anything really. And then just having to answer the most ambiguous, confusing questions at the end of it. Uh, it would take on average, most people, it would take two or three hours going through this thing. Ouch. Just because even, even if you cheated and had the PowerPoints open, which of course everyone did, um, you, you still couldn't be guaranteed to pass because of the way the questions were worded and they didn't tell you how many right answers there were in each one, how many you were trying to get. It was designed almost to catch you out. So, uh, yeah, that put people in the right frame to learn for sure. Ouch. I've just, I've just seen on the, um, in the text chat that Steph's come online. Um, so I'm going to bring Steph in. We'll probably watch, well, we won't start from scratch, but I'll bring Steph in and, and probably hit a um, cold with the question about what's the worst experience of compliance training that, that she's received and hopefully she'll be able to catch up with us through that point then. Hello. Hi Steph, how are you? Hi, I'm very well. Hi Steph. Dreaming. Sorry to keep you waiting. <laughs> are you, are you, is this fashionably late or are we unfashionably early? Well, I, I no, I had one thirty as our start time, so I thought I was about right. But did I get to be that fair? Right? To be fair, I thought it was one thirty-two until I saw uh, your your tweet earlier. I think. You know, what? I'm flapping now. I've just checked my phone, which has got me googled on it, and, and it says one in here. But that's not to say that I didn't tell you it was half one. So if that's the case, I'm really sorry to everybody. Uh, and obviously, I will edit all of this out the podcast. So it just makes it look like uh, I'm completely faultless. <laughs> Sounds good. Stephanie, we've just been, we've only asked a couple of questions really. Um, we asked people what their thoughts were and the differences between compliance training and statutory training, and we sort of came up with the conclusion that that statutory was a legal requirement pushed onto you, and statutory, or sorry, compliance was something that you had interpreted was a requirement based upon some rules or regulations or legislation or advice from a regulator. 
Yeah. We've just started talking only just now about what the worst experience that we've got all be of compliance training, whether we've ended up delivering it or we've been on the receiving end of it. Uh, and mm. you just came in at that point then. So over to you. What's your worst experience of compliance training? Um, it's hard to pick one example, but I think it's the um the the type of training that is driven by say the legal team that is very focused on their policies and their wording rather than focusing on the the end user and the actual behaviours that need to result from it. Um, which I think unfortunately there's a lot of that out there. I think more and more people are looking for better compliance training but that's that's the kind of the characteristics of the the worst compliance training so it's it's any compliance training that's not got any compliance training that's a content dump as kathy moore would call it on it that's lacked the action mapping process being applied to it i guess yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. um so that's the worst experience best experience of compliance training open flows first I honestly don't have any good experiences of, of compliance training. Oh. Uh, well, um, well, I mean, the only compliance training that we've had has been quite um, standardised, which is literally in a room, somebody reads things out to you, you get the PowerPoint presentation, um, you may or may not get a practical session, and they're quite standard, and they're delivered in a dry form, they're delivered by the same people. They're not delivered by what I would say is an expert in their field. It's like as if the human resources will deliver necessarily the, the right people to actually deliver. You're just dropping out there for a few seconds, Paul. But I think what you're saying is basically it's uh, it's down to the compliance team or the health and safety team that just kind of deliver mm. anything and everything, even if they're not particularly the subject matter experts in it. Yeah, that's more or less it. I mean, you were dropping out as well. I didn't know whether it was talking over somebody. Um, yeah, it's, it's whether the right person's delivering the, the content uh, or whether it's just the standard, you know, we are human resources, we'll deliver everything. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point, actually. I think the most successful compliance e-learning courses that I've worked on is where there's a really good partnership between the subject matter experts and the learning experts, because um, I think ultimately both of them need to be involved, obviously, to deliver their specific expertise to result in a product that actually will make a difference. Um, so I think that ties into what you're saying about who leads the training in the classroom yeah. as well. A meeting of minds. Yeah. My, um, I mean... I was just before you came on air, Steph, I was saying that my worst experience of compliance training was some manual handling training that the manual handling involved lifting empty boxes with 15 kilograms, 5 kilograms, 25 kilograms written on it. But the flip side of that coin is that when that individual moved on from the organisation, we actually outsourced that compliance training to a company who actually provides subject matter guidance to the health and safety executive. So they really know their stuff. And yeah. this, you know, this company came in and the individual came in and everything was practical based with they asked us to bring in where we could real products from around the organization. So water canisters, oxyacetylene cylinders, bags of sand, real objects into the classroom and delivered it in real time. And the real icing on the cake was anybody who worked in an area of the business where they couldn't bring then products into the classroom for obvious reasons they actually then went with them to the shop floor to coin a phrase and actually 
delivered that manual handling training on that particular individual item on a one-to-one or, or a small type coaching session, that for me was very, very focused. It was completely action-based, as you mentioned earlier on, Steph, about it not having real context back to the learner. And the, the, the learner feedback from that has been absolutely tremendous, which is why, you know, I would say that that's my best experience in compliance training. It wasn't e-learning, it was practical-based, but I think if we can take the, the fundamentals of what they did, which was physical, action-based, learner-focused, results-focused, and bring it into an e-learning environment, then we've got a winning mixture. Yeah. It's also about the relevance, isn't it, that that was then focused on the specific types of things that were around you in your environment. And you can do that through e-learning. Obviously, you know, you can't be in, in the room or in the actual environment, but you can offer some way of learners tailoring it to their specific role or their specific environment. And I think that relevance makes it more effective and more enjoyable from a user perspective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember back to the innovation and compliance training session that you facilitated for Steph, and I'm, I'm absolutely positive that on that wordle that you produced as, as some uh, feedback before the event, that uh, relevance was on there, or rele relevance or relevance was on there. Yeah, yeah, it was. That was one of the most um, most common words in terms of what people want to want e-learn compliance e-learning to be, that they can see how it actually relates to their role, that it isn't just a top-down kind of company-wide thing that they have to do it's much it there's been thought put into it to make it mean something for their role yeah that's I mean that's very important I think because you know from our side um working in IT and we did manual handling course and there's very little manual handling except for maybe picking a server up or a computer but the guy who's delivering it was telling us how to move desks and chairs and stand on things and what not to do and how to open the door and really it's quite irrelevant to what we do but you have to sit there through it. And I guess when you're saying about relevance, that's, I think that's the most important thing is knowing that what the, what you're learning is important to your job. Uh, otherwise, yeah. you'll probably switch off. Yeah, I mean, one example is that we, I mean, I worked on a data protection course and everyone in the organisation needed a basic level yeah. of awareness and, you know, be able to do kind of, the, the basic rights and wrongs of it um, but obviously there are people that deal with customer data or employee data and um, that work with systems and that therefore are exposed to the, the that data every day and they're much higher risk so just by offering them a kind of additional module you're making sure that the people who need the base level get the base level without being overwhelmed by that additional detail because they'll just switch off because it doesn't matter to their role but you're then making sure right. that people who yeah. are higher risk get the additional detail yeah Steph, I know that um, I know that Cole wasn't present at that session that you facilitated for us down um, down at the end of last year down in London, and probably mm. quite a lot. Well, I hope that of the thousands of listeners that I get to this, uh, maybe, maybe some, what are you laughing at? Maybe some of them um, weren't present either. So, could you just talk us through the process that you went through, particularly around the wordles, because I still love what you did there. And could you sort of tell us the disconnect between what people are used to seeing and what they actually want to see? Yeah, yeah. So um, in advance of the event, I um, kind of did a bit of a, a survey over Twitter and from my blog and people that I work with to find out what words sprung to mind when they thought about compliance training. And those words that came up, there were some positive words in there, um, you know, people who've had good experience, but a lot of the words most common were things like, um, well, irrelevant, boring, tick box, um, 
theory, two theory focused, all the, those kind of things that you'd expect. And then I asked, um, slightly later, I asked what people wanted their compliance training to be um, and to give another three words for that. And as Craig said earlier, the words that were most common were engaging, um, relevant, effective, action focused. Um, and it was very clear, just the two images next to each other, you could see that, as you said, Craig, the disconnect between what people have been used to yeah. and the perception of compliance training and then what we actually need to be delivering to live up to the, you know, what they really want. That brings me perfectly on. Uh, I, haven't pro I haven't prompted Steph with this at all, but that brings me perfectly on. So really, the sort of last question that I, that I planned to ask us all, and that is... As instruction designers, as e-learning authors, as learning technologists, what is it that we need to start doing to, to bridge that gap between what unfortunately people are used to experiencing with compliance e-learning and what we know they should be experiencing with compliance e-learning? What can we start to do differently to help them bridge that gap? I think it's, um, I think it's actually another thing that came out of that uh, e-learning network session and it's uh, what Lars Highland said to you uh, which is think campaign not course and I think we have to go uh, way beyond what we put into an e-learning module and think about it as a communication campaign a marketing campaign because that's the only way uh, firstly to get people to understand the relevance it, it's all very well having a screen or two at the, at the start of your e-learning module saying you know putting out why this is relevant to your role but if you really want people to engage with it, I think you have to go beyond that. Um, that's certainly where I'm focusing a lot of my uh, sort of learning and development at the moment, my sort of personal stuff, is, is getting a better grip on what I can do to influence things before and after. Yeah. Um, and making the actual e-learning module itself really just about scenarios, relevant scenarios that people can practice the behaviours and call upon, you know, following action mapping and call upon the information when they need it. But they're going to be primed for that because where I work, that would shock the hell out of them if they just came straight <laughs> into that. Um, so we're going to prime them with various communications beforehand to get their awareness and interest up before we hit them with that and then obviously sustain it afterwards. So for me, it's all about the communications around it. And what, yeah. what are those communications, Sam? What would they look like? Is it just an email or is, do you think it's... No, no. It's got, I think it's got to be really as varied as you can and use as many different media as you've got um, available. Um, you've, you've caught me outside there because we're still developing it at the moment. <laughs> well, what about, but, um, what, what, have we got any ideas that could ship in to help Sam out with? Um, I think you've, you've got to make sure it's embedded into the culture of like any kind of campaign if you're saying it's a media campaign um you know make it in, uh, embedded into people's working lives part of their personal learning and see it as it's a compliance training but it's also training you and developing you rather than just saying it's a statutory requirement now i guess you know we've all got methods of delivering e-learning already and it's just another um possible bit of content however if it's something that's important to everybody, it's got, it's got to be sort of up there um, at the forefront of, of your everyday work in life, I think. Yeah. I think there are some things you can do that, um, that provide those communications, but also at the same time help to show people that it, it, it's not necessarily the compliance training that they're used to and that it's something different and refreshing. So, for instance, um, you know, your, your communications campaign could potentially include like viral emails or viral marketing and that kind of thing that 
it provides a kind of taster for the scenario based approach or whatever it is that you're using um, that goes straight to people's inbox. So it's really makes them realize that it's not necessarily the style um, poor that they're you dropped out quite badly then, Steph, uh, on a number of occasions. Um, we, we we got the bit about the viral marketing. Did I? Yeah. Uh, Can you hear me any better now? Yeah, but, but I mean, it's, it's coming. Yeah, I'm really just saying, I did like that, mate. Can... Nah, you've gone completely, Steph. I'm not sure if you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Is that any better? Yeah. Yeah, you come back now. Yeah, that's it. So we've got some viral marketing, viral emails and things. Yeah, so I was really just saying that, you know, an approach like that to your communications campaign um, helps to not just communicate the fact that the training is coming, but can suggest a refreshing take on compliance training that you might have taken. So it kind of gives people a taster that it's not going to be just the tick box training they're used to, but it's something more engaging and scenario based. Yeah, wet, wet their appetite up front. Yeah, exactly, I think we, yeah. we, def we definitely have a need for that because we, the last module we did was along those lines and it shocked a lot of people who actually were, were questioning why we were doing this. Why is there not just a, 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 a tick box quiz at the end? Um, <laughs> what, what, why did you let, why did you make this module free form? I didn't know where to go. I, you know, what, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to look at. Um, why did you make it interesting? <laughs> the, best, the best comment was, why didn't you force me to learn? <laughs> I think you've tweeted that recently, haven't you? Have you? I, no, I don't know if I have actually. Possibly that was the one that stuck in my mind. I didn't learn anything because I was not forced to learn. Yeah, somebody's <laughs> How dare you try and engage with me? How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, Quite ironic. Yeah. I think another key part of it is to not mention the the C word as I tweeted this morning because <laughs> I think as soon as you do call it compliance training, it automatically, especially in a culture like where we are and what people have become used to, as soon as you mention compliance or even we rebranded it as something called need to know, um, which I think is I'm going to have to kill as well. But um, I think just calling it compliance or even hinting that it is compliance switches a lot of people off. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it does. I think you're right. Anything that's sort of like seen as compulsory, um, people do switch off. I, mean, I think there's a great story there. Um, Clive Shepard was at the e-learning event and he stood up towards the end of the day and said that some years ago, he was a little aloof as to how many years ago, but he said some years ago he was asked to go overseas into a developing country. Um, I can't remember where it was, but it's certainly one that if I could remember, we would also, yeah, that, that, that country's had its problems, it's having its problems. And he was asked to go there um, as a consultant, as a contractor. And before he went, he had to, as part of his sort of visa process, his foreign office process, undertake some you know high conflict, high intensity conflict type training. And it had the C word attached to it. And he said, of all the compliance training he's ever done, he readily accepts that that's probably the most relevant and probably most most need to know that he's ever undertaking so the risks that he was going into but when they stuck the word compliance on it something inside him changed and mm -hmm. and he was less motivated to go and do that so i think that backs up what you what you've said sam there about the fact that you know you know if this is embedded within the culture of the organization enough that it just becomes 
business as usual, learning is work and work is learning, that actually we can do away with the compliance and the need to know and the statutory words. And it just becomes part of the culture. Easy said, as we all know, not, not so easily done. It's not so easily done because you've got to have uh, somebody in, in sort of influence, you know, in your department who can influence others to say, well, this is as important or if not more important than X within the company. You know, it's about influence, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. You're right. Yeah, it's all well and good as our levels having this bright idea, but it needs some sponsorship. It needs some influence. It needs some support from elsewhere, which is sometimes forthcoming, and other times it's it's extremely you know arduous to try and get that support. I'm very conscious of the time. Uh, you know, I've only asked you to commit to 30 minutes. I'm conscious of the time. Um, so what I was going to do is I'm going to sort of finish off by putting a well and truly on the spot. And heading over to Stephanie, who, as we know, won the Instructional Designer of the Year Award last year for a piece of e-learning that's centred around compliance training. If the viewers, if the listeners of this, Stephanie, forget everything else that's been said, what one tip, one rises to the top of the pile tip, could you give people who are involved in, in designing and implementing compliance statutory e-learning to take away from this? to implement um that is putting me on the spot i'm not very good with them um, one tips i always go for three but <laughs> um, i think if i had to choose one it would be um to make it action focused so about performance not about theory um you know that leads then to then the kind of scenario based approach but i think that for me is the main thing if you focus it on actions and behaviors it, it's going to be more effective than your theory-based content dumps. Actions and behaviours. Colin, same question to you. Um, I'd say to try and get it embedded into the culture as, a, as a, an embedded part of your work rather than a compliance. So we've got actions, we've got embedded within the culture. Sam? Uh, I'm going to go for use marketing techniques to um, disguise it so that it doesn't come across <laughs> as compliance training. Okay, and something I really should follow my own advice yet, but avoid the C word. And you can read into that whatever you want. <laughs> avoid the C word. So I'm pretty much jumping on the back of Sam's there, you know, don't market it as compliance training that you must do this every three years to get a tick in the box. Make people want to engage with it. Folks, thank you ever so much for your time this afternoon. I really appreciate you taking time out your diary to uh, to have a chat about this. It will be wrapped up over the next few hours and stuck on the old blog. Thanks ever so much for joining me this afternoon. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Bye.